1: Welcome to That Gabby Rosin Podcast, part of the Acast Creator Network. Kate Thornton is my guest this week. She shares the story of how she started out as a journalist and became the first female editor at only 21 of Smash Hits magazine. And when she joined, that was the moment that Take That split up. Also, she tells me about when she lent Emma Bunton her bra. Stories about Simon Cow, Will Young, Pop Idol and X Factor. She talks about working with Anton Deck and how they said goodbye to PJ and Duncan on the front of Smash Hits magazine. She talks beautifully about her son and the importance of being there for him, even though she's a very hardworking single mum. Kate is a supportive, nurturing, kind girl, and I do hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed spending time with her. Please, can I ask you a favor? Would you mind following and subscribing, please? By clicking the follow or subscribe button. This is completely and utterly free, by the way. And you can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. Simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes. I know there have been quite a few now. And you'll see the stars where you can tap and rate and also please write a review. Thank you so much. Thornton, oh my word! At last, I get you to myself on the podcast. <laughs>
2: hooray, hooray. It's so lovely to be invited on in such esteemed company. Well, Amazing. do you know? Here's the thing: I,
1: the thing I always say about you and everybody I know who knows you is, you are one of the most generous people. Now, you get embarrassed when people oh. say nice things. So I'm going to say it. I do. I'm going to get it over and done with, and you can blush. Okay. <laughs> Kate Thornton is a woman's woman, is a man's woman, and is just the most supportive person. She's there for you no matter what, and she will always hold your hand. There we go. Said, done, that's how we're starting.
2: You've put a little tear in my eye with that. Thank you. Good, good. But it was meant, no, it's really meant from the heart. Well, do you know what? If if that is probably the nicest thing I, I could hope for anyone to think of me or take away from spending any sort of time with me, so... Thank you. That's lovely. I will have a little cry. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's so
1: interesting in our crazy business? Um, and uh, I, I call myself a presenter. You're a, you're an entrepreneur, a presenter. A, but I would say, first of all, you're a journalist, and you have. That's why you were so brilliant on Loose Women. I still stand by, I think, you were the best thing on Loose Women that they've ever had. Oh, thanks. I, I, no, but I do mean, I really mean that. It's not just, I'm not Thank blowing you. smoke up anywhere. I really am not. But you're a journalist through and through. So when you do your interviews on White Wine Question Time, which is brilliant, and be going a very long time now, I'm very successful. When you do those interviews, it's you get those very clever questions in. So when I listen to you doing your interviews, I can hear journalist. Is that what you would possibly put at the top? If somebody was, if you had to describe yourself in five words, would you say journalist
2: first? Probably broadcaster because of the entertainment aspect of what I do as well. But I think journalism or being a journalist underpins probably everything i do even across to shows like x factor because you're still telling stories and i think you know every week when you had a show like an x factor for example you're storyboarding each of those contestants as the host so that the public can follow their story and you're the, you're kind of the, their narrator um and i think every, every i think i approach everything like a story if i'm honest because i've just you know from the, from being a child you know hiding under my duvet with a torch so i could carry on reading at night i've always been obsessed with stories So I guess it sits at the heart of what I do. It's just instinctive now. I don't even think about it to be honest. I'm just a nosy Parker with a license to chat. I mean, it's like winning the lottery, really, (laughs) because I, I, you know, as a nosy person who's, and I say nosy, what I mean is curious. You know, it's never gone, it's never grown old with me being interested in people. And that could be, you know, the other day I was on a. I was on a train up to Newcastle and got, you know, chatting with a guy for three, four hours. I'll never see him again, but I know the ins and outs of his life now. He works in Saudi Arabia. He and his wife had three kids before they were 21. No one said it would last. And now he's a grandfather and I've seen pictures of his kids. I just, I love that. that that's I, wonderful. No, that, that's, yeah, you know, So so I guess it stitches its way through every part of my life, even the bits that I'm paid to do.
1: Yeah, I see. That's why I still will say journalist, because at the core of it all, that's you are interested and interesting. And I think, I, actually, I believe that everybody has a story and Tastes there are a like. few people that can get those stories out and you are one of them. Now, so it's very interesting. So I've known you a very, very long time and adored you a very long time. And what's so interesting is every time I, so all the research and everything I did yesterday, uh. <laughs> They all Google say, me. yeah. Of course, I had to, but but to do my research, I know. it was love, No, it was all lovely. <laughs> no, it's
2: awful. No, it's not. i did the all. same to you when you came on my podcast, and no. you do feel like you're sort of cyber stalking your friends. It's weird. It, I know it's really yeah. weird, but <laughs> they all say the same thing: the youngest ever
1: editor of Smash Hits, and that is just a great tag to carry through your life. I and actually, I know, I've always said that about you, and I knew it about you. I didn't realise
2: how young you really were. Well, um, you probably think, no, I was 21. I've got to get my Wikipedia page corrected. I know. But also equally, you know, whilst it was brilliant to be the youngest person in the chair, um, for me, (laughs) I know 21 is ridiculous. The thing I'm most proud of is I was the first woman in that chair. Yes, yes. Now that to me is more of a a kind of standout moment because it was a magazine that was written for fundamentally teenage girls. And it had been going decades by the time I got there. And I couldn't understand why a woman had never been trusted um, with, with speaking to a readership that she understood. And as bonkers as it was to give somebody of 21 that level of responsibility, I think there was also a case in point that actually I was probably as close as you could get um, to um, my the audience that I was talking to, the reader, um, by way of age that was legal.
1: <laughs> but how did that happen? How did it come about? Because there seems to be a sort of a gap between the lovely stories of you as a child and... Um, I've met your daddy, lovely man. But 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 that, yeah. and then suddenly becoming an editor, as you said, twenty one, and an editor means that you are in charge of that magazine.
2: Full stop. It, it the buck ends with you. I know, right? So, well, so what were they thinking? What happened in between to, to get that in order to get that job? I went to journalism school. I went to the London College of Printing, and part of the studies, uh, the part of the the course there is that you had to get two work placements, which was really hard because most people just don't respond. Um, And I managed to get two and I knew out of those two, I had to get a job or I'd have to go home back to Cheltenham in Gloucestershire where there are no publications beyond the local sort of evening newspaper, which I'd already done work experience and bits and pieces for. Um, So I had to make that work. So I ended up working on the Sunday Mirror magazine and um, I was literally making tea and jazz handing, putting my hands up going, please, can I do something? Please, can I write a caption? Can I just get something published before I go? And just really tried to sort of make myself known. Um, And there was a wonderful um, editor there called Kate Hadley and she just talked to me, I guess, and said to me, you know what, you, you, you're all right, yeah. I mean, and I said, would you, would, you, would you give me a job? And she said, yeah, when you finish your studies, come back and there'll be a job here for you as an editorial assistant. And I literally finished my exams at lunchtime and was there sort of 20 minutes later. Wow. Going, I'm here. <laughs> and and got promoted up to write in a youth column for the Sunday Mirror because they had nobody young on the title and their, their readership was dying. Um, and that, you know, the children of the, the readers that they were losing were not then picking up the paper and carrying it forward. And it was during that, I mean, literally that lasted about a year. During that time, I met a guy called Mark Frith, who's now, I think, the editor of the Radio Times. And Mark was editing Smash Hits. And my column was, you know, sort of reviews, competitions, and a big interview with the pop star every week. So we were on the same circuit. And he said to me, I'm leaving, you know, I'm going to go and edit Sky Magazine. Do you remember that? sky magazine oh my god yes. um, yeah yeah and so he went up to do he went upstairs to do sky magazine he said but you know what there's no obvious internal candidates so why don't you apply and i was like well i've never applied for a job in my life and he's like we'll just do it for the interview experience it will be good for you so i did i went and did like 10 hours of interview never expecting to get it because why would you give somebody that's had probably a year of employment a job like that? Um, but they did.
1: Amazing. They saw, see, they saw what we all see now,
2: but that uh, it's fantastic that you got the job. And then... Well, and do then you know if- what? The the, the the bosses on that, though, were pretty remarkable. So you'll know these guys. So the guys that formed that sort of um, the hierarchy of the publishing uh, world at EMAP then... Uh, two of the guys, one was Dave Hepworth and the other was Mark Ellen, and they would both been brilliant presenters of the Old Grey Whistle Test. But they bought magazines like you know, they bought smash hits up through the ranks. Um, they'd edited Q, they put, they launched Q magazine. They really knew what they were doing, and I don't know what they saw in me, but whatever they saw, I'm to this day eternally grateful.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? There are there are teachers, and they're the people that give you your first jobs that you will never forget the
2: name of, oh, and yeah. you will forever be thankful. Yeah, and you know, yeah, exactly. The moment you said that, I was like, Mr. Pugh, my English teacher, the only teacher <laughs> that ever saw anything positive in me. I still communicate with him to this day. Oh. We are still in touch. It's a lovely thing. Oh, well, sorry, can very you very special. Hear that, that, can you hear that That kind of- Buzzing, um, yes. in the background? Yeah, do you want me to, hold on, one sec, Gabs. Let me, It's my neighbor. I'll just shout out the window, one sec. Day, day. I'm so sorry. Would, is there any chance that I could have half an hour? Thank you. I'm loving this. He's jet washing his. Uh, we're gonna we're you, gonna keep that in. I love that, Dave. Dave, bless Dave. <laughs> keep Thank it in. We're gonna keep it in. I couldn't live without Dave. He brings all my parcels in. He's lovely. Um, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, he is lovely. So um, yeah. And he's, and also he's a props man. So he understands things like this. I don't have to explain Oh, perfect. Like, yeah, all right. yeah. Was he there before <laughs> you or were you there before him? The yeah. House? He was, he was here years before me. See, so check out your before neighbors me. before you move in. I'll really tell you what else I'm going to, I'm going to give Dave a shout out here on his hedge management. Cause we share a hedge and he he's turned it into sort of like an ornamental masterpiece. I'm scared to touch it. Like, oh, if Ben drops hysterical. his bike into the hedge, I'm like, watch Dave's hedge! <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, go Dave. Well, actually, don't go Dave at the moment. Just wait half an hour. No, don't um, go Dave. <laughs> but, the, the, so back to, to Smash Hits. When, yeah. And then, obviously, you know, people talk about Take That and Spice Girls. Now, a, fr- a mutual mm. friend the other day told me that you're the one that named the Spice Girls. And...
2: Is this true? No, sadly not. No. No, it's a complete fallacy. Um, No, it was a really good friend of mine who was the rival editor of the rival magazine at the time, uh, which is very funny now. He's a wonderful man, a, a borderline popular musical genius, I would say. So his name's Peter Lorraine and he was the editor of Top of the Pops magazine. And I kicked myself when we saw that he had come up with these phenomenal names that just stuck with the Spice Girls. And Peter is now a really good friend, remains a great friend, but he'd put together Girls Aloud, The Saturdays, and now he manages, I'm gonna get this right, Jesse Ware, All Saints, Steps. Wow. Um, I mean, you know, the list goes on. It's uh it's quite a, a roster he's got. Um and yeah, and a thoroughly decent bloke as well.
1: So you so all right, so the the Spice Girls is a is an urban myth, but it's not an urban myth that you it was when take that. Um, split that you were then editor of Smash It? Do
2: uh, uh, you know the timing could not have been worse. You know, you know, worse? you know when you sit there and go, really? Thank you very much. So I'd <laughs> accepted the job pre-Christmas with the the view of starting in January. And literally, I think it was in that time frame. I know basically by the time I joined the magazine, they'd split up. And we just had to rinse the, the demise of Take That with... Memorial issues, you know, reflecting reflecting on their their, their kind of you know, I think they're only together four years. You know, we really it, it felt very it was very emotional, uh, certainly for the readers. So I, I did as much as I could, sort of you know, literally rinsing the demise of Take That, and then setting up all of the solo careers with different cover stories and interviews with each of the the boys. As, as an if and when they went out with their own material. Um, and then we hit this kind of dearth of like, after after that, I mean, I think we only got about three months out of that. And then we had this sort of, it was the summer of indie. It was Blurvy Oasis. It was um, Euro 96. It was Jarvis flashing Jacko at the Brits. And all of that was sort of great, but it wasn't what teenage girls wanted to see on the cover of a magazine. And so it was a tricky time trying to navigate how you make Britpop work for a 13-year-old in, you know, Um, And then suddenly the answer arrived in my office one day, um, and that was the Spice Girls. I mean, they kicked their way in. They had Nicky Chapman as their plugger. Uh, a plugger is somebody that promotes acts to magazines, newspapers and TV shows. And they, they arrived unannounced, jumped on all the desks. I was in a meeting with one of my publishers, uh, it was like it was like some sort of video um or or some sort of spoof of St. Trinians where they just refused to leave <laughs> until we came out and, 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 just, and saw them. And they were so compelling and such a force of nature. And they played the right card with me. They're like, You're the first woman in this chair, you should be supporting bands like us. And I was like, damn right, I will. But and they were they were punchy, they were going, we want a cover. I was like, You've got to get a hit before you get a cover, but I'll definitely give you some support. And you get a number one, you've got a cover. And they did, and we did.
1: How amazing. And you're still very I mean, one of your best friends is is Emma Hunton Emma. to yeah. this day. Do you know that's that's I the know, other isn't thing. that funny? It's lovely though, because another thing of all of you know, if you look if you have a look through your whole career, if one were to look through your whole career, you've taken all these people with you. And it that's what I was saying at the beginning about your support. So you were there and you supported them and you still do, and then you've got your core of girlfriends who you're very, very strong and you're all together and you're backing each other. And isn't it lovely that all these years later, you and Emma are still, you know, best friends. It's just wonderful. And there she was
2: coming, running into your office and jumping on the table. I know, right? And in fact, on that first cover shoot, or maybe it was the next one, I can't remember which, but um, she had a kind of white lacy little mini dress on. And back then, you couldn't Photoshop and touch things up in the same way with the same ease that we do now. And um, it was a bit saucy for teenage magazines. We were like, "Do you have a bra that you could put on with that? Because there's a little bit of nipple." And she's <laughs> like, "No." And I was like, "Oh, what size are you?" And back then, you know, thirty-four B. I was like, "Do you want my bra?" So I did that shoot braless <laughs> so that Emma could, <laughs> could take my bra. And then a lovely mum, Pauline. Um, Laundered it, wrapped it in tissue and had it sent back to my office. How lovely is that? And I reminded Pauline of that because Emma and Jade recently got married, very recently got married and we just so happened to be five minutes staying up the road on holiday when they did. So zoomed down to see them and Pauline was there. And I said to her, Pauline, do you remember? You know When you washed my bra and sent it back to me? She's like, yes, I do. I said, Pauline. I wish I could remember when I had a 34B chest (laughs) (laughs) because it just won't stop growing in old age. (laughs) That's the 90s for you. Everything was different in the 90s. It was different. Well, I think, you know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, everyone thought that we were raucous and rock and roll. And actually we were just sharing bras and sending them home to our mum to do laundry. (laughs) I love that. I love that, and yeah. actually, that's there was there, even though you say they were
1: jumping on the desk and everything. There was, there was, and and I, people are obviously, um, my lovely Chris Evans, you know, he'll say, "Oh, I don't know if I was there." When he talks about the famous Oasis gig and you know with the film coming out and everything, but the nineties weren't Never. just like that. There was, yeah, but the nineties were also there was a. This is, I know people
2: are going to go, "What?" But there was a sort of innocence about it all as well. Oh, I think so because we were we'll think about where we were at right it was so i remember editing smash hits i didn't have email i had a mobile phone but i was the only person in the office with one and like if it, if if somebody had to go out on a shoot and there wasn't going to be a phone that i'd lend them my mobile but they had to charge it up first and it had a <laughs> it had a strap so you could carry it over your shoulder oh my god and if god. you wanted to ask the call you had to pull you had to pull the aerial up so you think, you know, ninety-six, as much as the internet was a thing, it wasn't in wide use at all. You know, um, we used to send everything like if, when we did when we pushed the magazine to publication, we'd get chromalins back. Chromalins are like, you know, yeah. big, big pieces of paper where we'd mark them up and send our changes back to the to the stone, to the press prints. I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore. So I think when you say there was an age of innocence, there really was. Um, a i think culture was undergoing you know popular culture was undergoing a massive upheaval so we had dance music kicking off rave had happened indie music was imploding but pop was still wrapped around it in some ways and then we had you know that crazy summer of 96 with um euro 96 nebworth and then of course you know I think a year later Labour came into power didn't they so there was it was seismic change in the country and to be sort of in the thick of all of that helping to tell that story to young people was brilliant you know but then also and I'm I'm going to
1: stick with that theme of innocence because um pop idol happened and then you, I and oh, yeah. I know you were doing you were doing other television as well um, don't try this at home and which I lo- love <laughs> I love the show Lovely show, you did get up to some crazy things and you were you were absolutely divine. That's when I first was aware of you. And I think I, so the first time we met, you were doing, don't try this at home. And you probably won't remember. And I remember saying to you, cause I, I thought you were brilliant in it. And I remember saying to you, um, you should be doing more. You should be doing more. You're so good cause you're really real and you're enthusiastic and everything. And that was, I don't know what year you did, Don't Try This at Home. That would have 90, 98, 99. Right. And then suddenly you were doing, not suddenly, but you, obviously you did other stuff, but then you were doing X Factor and there was a, yeah. a palpable cheer from everyone I knew that a woman was fronting this sort of show and I'm still going to use the word innocence. X Factor then was so innocent. It was full of
2: hope and promise and excitement, not money and fame. It was a different feeling, wasn't it? Well, I mean, all I can do is tell you how it felt on the ground at the time, because obviously I didn't go on to do. I think I did three or four seasons in total, but I, do, I you know, absolutely the in, when when you talk about the innocence of it all with pop idol, one hundred percent. And really, I and mean, you know, love it was really lovely. Yesterday, I got this email popped into my inbox from somebody that works for a beauty company now but she's she said kate i was in the final 50 on pop idol one i was like no way she's got this really high ranking grown-up job now wonderful so we were chatting so actually and i said it, it did feel like such innocent times because there were no talent scouts out looking to to bring people to auditions which is i think what happened later down the line um you know literally it was we're auditioning do you want to turn up and what was funny with Pop Idol was previous to that, and I think maybe one of the – I got bought in when the show was already six weeks on its legs, on its feet, on air, and it had been so successful. I was brought in to do the ITV2 spin-off show, and they'd never yeah. done one before. ITV2 is still a relatively new channel. Um, so that's how I ended up being in the mix. But previous to that, because pop stars, the rivals, had been such a big thing, I was working on this morning at the time doing – I remember. Uh, the entertainment company. You were doing is, showbiz so, stuff, yeah. Yeah, showbiz. So I shared that role with Claudia Winkleman and Mark Wogan, Terry's son. And so I went in and what was great then um, was that you could just go in and because it was a live show, you could pitch an idea. And if the editor, Nick Bullen liked it, you just put it on there, right? It's great. So it's a great way to test ideas. And I said, why don't we try and do like a this morning boy band? Because that was, you know, everybody was going nuts for pop stars, the rivals, and girls allowed to come out of that. And, you know, it was, it was very much um consuming what people were talking about and watching. So we said, Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's do a boy band audition. So I brought in um a producer to sit alongside me as a judge. I was judging as sort of the, you know, the former editor of Smash Hits. And then I suggested, I said, I've got this guy that's I, th- I think he's funny. He's kind of reminds me of Mike from The Young Ones. Um, he's called Simon Cowell and he's an A&R guy. So he came in and did the judging on it. And out, we put this boy band together. And in that boy band were Anthony Costa and Lee Ryan, who went on to form Blue, um, two of Lisa Scott Lee's brothers from Steps. And then the fifth person was Will Young. Wow. Yeah. That was prior to Popeye. You're responsible for a hell of a lot. Not really. Don't, don't put me in charge.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to
0: raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, What the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass?
2: We knew we had loads and loads of great stories, you know, great in terms of like you know great contestants. Darius was back. We knew that Gareth was magic in the room because he'd moved all of us. And we got to the last day of auditions, and the very last person to audition in Pop Idol one was Will Young. Wonderful Will. Yeah. So I think yeah. that was entirely, Gosh. you know, yes, it did feel like very innocent times. Um, I, you know, I loved working on those shows. They are amongst some of my fondest and happiest working memories for sure um and yeah i mean look it went on to- and you were really good at them
1: you oh, were thanks. really see you no, know, but as as somebody who watched them all i mean as a viewer um i, I think you were really good at them because you got your enthusiasm but also i'm going back to what i said at the beginning about being a journalist you would get people's stories without one you know without that i have to say i get do get bored in every reality show of everybody's um heartbreak story you know from yeah. now them they do it in the voice and they do the walking up and they say you know I'm very sorry that they might have lost a, a member of the family but I know my kids who are well 20 and 14 and they were much younger obviously then but they were little ones and they loved everything about the show but even they were oh no they realised when they it were was being the played sympathy vote
2: yeah, well, yeah it feels yeah it, feel, if it feels contrived um then it yeah. didn't then, though. It really didn't. No, it didn't. didn't though. And, no, it didn't. I, and I don't know. I don't know what changed because obviously, I you know, I left after a certain point. Um, but yeah, they were. You know, they were the best of times. And for me, I could never have gone on to do X Factor had I not had two years literally um, working at the feet of the masters. And that's Anton and Deck. And our relationship had had started years previous on Smash Hits when <laughs> when um. We killed PJ and Duncan and we re, re, <laughs> yes. reinvented them as Ant and Deck, which of course they were Ant and deck because that's actually their names. Um, but with PJ and Duncan had stopped working and they were like, "What's what's it going to take to update it and you know make us cover worthy again?" And we were like, "Well, maybe you just need to sort of get rid of the PJ and Duncan thing, Biker Groves." You know, done now, and they were starting to do kids' TV where they're getting into lots of trouble for shaving children's yeah, they eyebrows did the big
1: off. Breakfast. That's right. They yeah, did they, were, they did the big breakfast. And they presented the big breakfast, and I remember saying to them at the time, "Why don't you do more presenting?" And it was sort of,
2: really, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they did it for a week. They well, they then they, they had their own children's TV shows. I think on the BBC, Um and they had to do this thing called Beat the Barber. And anyway, some kid he got into trouble for shaving children's eyebrows off. Um, <laughs> I just thought, and I was like, you guys are brilliant at that stuff. And they were working out, you know, they were a fork in the road. Do we carry on being sort of pop stars or is there more to us? And we could all see um, that there was so much more yeah, to them. Yeah. So we we said, look, why don't we um, kill PJ and Duncan and we'll shoot their funeral and then you'll re-emerge <laughs> as Ant and Dec and you're going to be the host. that so They were hosting that, we'd asked them to do their first big Sort of live telly event, which was the Smash Hits Poll Winners Party, to host that, uh, which all felt oh weren't those great? No, oh, they were oh, the best. They were you know, great. Gongs for worst haircut. I know you're talking. Just um, great. And we the best thing was, though, we did this photo shoot. We got this really fancy photographer in, Rankin, um, who, who never usually shot for publications like Smash Hits, and that session created not only our cover as we staged this kind of funeral for for PJ and Duncan. But it also gave them the the imagery they needed for their new album, which was going to be called The Cult of Anton Deck, and all of this was going to kind of come. The, the album was going to be released around the poll winners, and it was all dovetailed to kind of give them, um, a you know a new identity to their fan base. And we said, you know, you're going to have to look quite different. And at the time. And it had those sort of hedgehog spikes that Gareth Gates had, you know, that was a very 90s thing. We were like, the spikes, let's get rid of the spikes. He was like, yeah, I'm on board with that. So he just had a buzz cut. And we said to Deck, what can we do with you to make you look different? And he was like, why don't we send you blonde like a surfer? But it didn't take so well, the he ended up ginger. It <laughs> <laughs> was an Oh, my
1: God.
2: Not because there's anything wrong with ginger hair, it just didn't really suit him. <laughs> That
1: is, but you see, and you're still friendly with them now. I'm um, yeah. again, you know, you you take all of these people through life. I mean, your your little black book is is extraordinary.
2: Uh, I, but also it's their they're real friends. Definitely. They're they're and I, you these know these people are all I, real friends. I think, you know, that's probably the greatest lesson I learned from Ant and Deck was don't present, just be yourself. Like they gave me sort of permission to do that because the way they hosted was so relaxed it was so um kind of you know big smiles now and everybody over enunciates and you know they just didn't work like that and because they set that as 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 a as an agenda i suppose on that show i just i just traveled in their slipstream and just learn 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 so that by the time the X factor came around i felt like i you know i was terrified but I thought, maybe I can do this.
1: see, that's the thing. You, absolutely, you could do it. You were so right for it. There was a woman fronting that sort of show. You looked fabulous in it because you were, and I'll, I'll still say it, you were very real. and And I think that's why everybody took you to their hearts Uh, it was wrong that you didn't carry on doing it but that's a whole other conversation Um, you. and you know how we feel about that well i well you know how i feel about that i've always said that uh very publicly i've said it as well
2: yeah thank you no thank you i mean it was at the time you know I, i was gutted i was like hang on a minute i really love this show and you said that i you know you said that i've that my job was my job for as long as i wanted it so that was a bit of, but you know what, life lessons, right? That gave me, um, yeah,
1: yeah,
2: that gave me a real crash course in resilience, and and also perspective because it felt enormous, but it really wasn't. It was just a job, and I, the, the, I, actually, that gave me a much healthier perspective when it came to my work life and not, you know, giving heart and soul to everything and making sure that you've got a life as well as a work life. So you know, not all negative, but ideally, yeah, wouldn't have. I would have rather it didn't end up like that. Yeah, of course. But actually,
1: taking the positive out of something is always hard at the time. But looking back, mm. you, you know, I, and we're always ever ever learning. But then again, loose women. We, we won't. We won't do too much on loose women because, um, I mean, you you were. But we can. I loved it. Well, well. I just what I don't want to do is talk about shows that you got and then you didn't do because I think throughout all of that. You, you, there was never a time that Kate Thornton wasn't doing something. You know, you were Radio 2, which I still, the, the was it Paper Cuts? I thought was a Yeah, brilliant we're doing show. some more
2: of those, actually. Oh, good. Yeah, we're doing some more, which is great. On yeah. Radio 2? Really, yeah, I'm really excited Good. more of those. That, you see, yeah. that was a special, yeah. that was a yeah. very, very, very
1: special show. And that, for me, after, after Loose Women, it just, all of that. There, was a, there is still a buzz that Kate Thornton is the girl that that knows that you you have a you have a knowledge beyond your years, which obviously those people saw when you were twenty one, being editor.
2: You know, you do have a knowledge about uh, uh, over your years. I think I was always a little bit sort of old for my years when I was younger. I might have caught up with myself now. <laughs> we never do. <laughs> but no, um, <laughs> listen, I paper um i've i've i think you know when fundamentally much like yourself, I'm freelance, right, so you're always out there trying to pitch for for the work that you love well, I certainly was um, not quite as um out there pitching as i as I used to be um but for me um paper cuts was was the show that I was passionate about um and Radio Two. I mean it took me six years to get that commissioned. And actually Wow. Oh my god. In the end. Yeah, six years. Of them going, we like it, but we haven't got a slot for it right now. And I, I felt that, you know, Radio 4's got Desert Island discs. Does Radio Two have a sort of, you know, a home for those big interview pieces? And could could I, you know, could I pitch an idea to for for that really? And that's what paper cuts was. So paper cuts is when you present somebody with their life as reported and ask them to kind of, you know, juxtapose that with their own take on it. So um, it's fascinating and I love doing it. And we've done some great guests over the years. And in the end, I um, actually was talking to, everything goes full circle, doesn't it? So one night I was out at some sort of party and I was with Anne and Deck, and we were talking about formats and ideas. And, you know, the boys are real businessmen and they are, hugely involved in all of the, I mean, like Saturday on Takeaways is, is pretty much them as an ideas bank, you know? Um, and they're great at formats and they've got a huge, they've got a really smart, sharp telly radar, I think. So we were talking about ideas and I, I mentioned paper cuts and they were like, that's amazing. You've got to make that. I said, oh, you know, every year Radio 2 sort of go, yeah, we really like it, but there's no room in the schedules this year. Bring it back on the next, next commissioning round, which I always did. Um, I never let it go. And they were like, nah, you've got to make this because once they hear it, it's going to be great. And they did my pilot for me and oh, gave up them. their time. They said, they said, come to our, 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 our house. Um, they didn't live together, but went around to one of theirs. Um, set up a couple of um, microphones and just recorded a demo that, that, that got me the commission. So I took it into Radio 2 and said, you've got to listen to this. And they listened to it and went, Can we put it out on Christmas Day? And I said, No, it's just a pilot, but you can have a series. <laughs> and that's what we did. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I'm so pleased they're gonna be more
1: because it is so good. But but on top of all of Thank that. Thank you. You're... But you know
2: what? A massive respect to Anton Deck, because you know what? They they really don't need to find time to help yes. someone like me but in the, that no, way. But but they the, do, and that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and and they're just to
1: you, they're just regular guys because they're your mates. But but and that's what's the special thing between you and all the other people that I was saying. But also, you're also an entrepreneur. So you
2: have, you know, you have a jewellery range that's now available in Next. Uh, yeah, so yeah, the is available on Next, but it's also going into very and will hopefully live with Debenhams as well. Oh my word, this so, is fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's been super exciting and um, was wonderful to sort of learn a new skill in my late forties, you know, learn how to do something that I had a load of interest in, but absolutely no skills. And I went, to, I literally went to school and studied alongside a design team for six months working at oh before God. I committed, before I committed to doing the range. Cause I just thought, otherwise it's just really insulting to people that have actually studied this as a trade. So that I wanted to come at it to be in a way that was at least slightly informed. Um, and yeah, thank goodness it's really worked, and it goes from strength to strength. So yeah, I that's launched fantastic. that on the podcast at the same time and thought, right, let's see if either of these things will work, and they both have, which is just lovely, huge success for both. But also now you've got scarves,
1: uh, you've also got mm. royalty TV on. Is it Amazon that that's on? So so
2: um, yeah, the royal beat is. This is this is um, this is an unexpected treat. So when Harry and Meghan got married. I did the coverage um, as a, as a live stream for Yahoo worldwide, and we did this five hour broadcast and like, literally from a conference room off Tottenham Court Road, um, and we had a hoot doing it. It was brilliant. I had brilliant people on like Vanessa Feltz and Reverend Kate Botley, um, and we, we did you know this this huge five-hour run and I didn't know if anybody would watch and when we got off we'd had 28 million views (gasps) which is crazy I know right wow so then we thought there's there's gold there's a kind of like there's gold in them hills so um that sort of switched me on to our royal family and the history of the royal family and how much it informs so much of what is Great Britain um and the Commonwealth and everything else so yes so then I was approached by my old boss from this morning, who agreed to do the boy band search with me all those years ago. Again, 360. Um, and he said, look, I've got this, is he, he's, he's, he's a channel that he runs called True Royalty. And he wanted to do a sort of uh, a new show about all things that are happening with, within the royal family, as well as looking back at the sort of history of them and the social history that sits around it. And I said, it sounds great. Let's do it. Not thinking it would do as well as it's gone on to do. So Amazon Prime have signed it, which is amazing. And it's getting really good numbers in America. I don't think you can get it on Amazon Prime here, but in the States it's, um, yeah, it's doing really good. So
1: who knew? (laughs) Oh no, well, I'm not surprised at all. And, And is there a chance that you'll go over and do more stuff in the States as it's doing so well in America? Would you take you and Ben over there?
2: Oh, do you know what? I almost did that about, I can't remember how many years ago now, a little while back he was still at primary school. So yeah, it would have been six or seven years ago. But yeah, out of nowhere, um, I was asked to go and do a talk show in the States, like a a panel show. I think they'd seen my work on Loose Women. Uh, This was not long after I'd left Loose Women. And we're like, look, we think, you know, I was like, is this a wind up? I I actually text them and deck going, is this like some sort of Set up for takeaway. You're taking the piss. <laughs> it wasn't, and um, yeah, I I was, I was I thought I was I, yeah. It was only the visa issues that stopped me going. um And then you know, as they do in the states, they you know you have to sign up forever to do a show. Yeah, it's five years to do isn't it. it? Yeah. It's five years, yeah, and and it meant moving us to the other side, of you know, the Atlantic. And my mum and dad agreed to come with me to help. oh my god oh my god And we were like okay well if we're gonna do this 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 could be fun it was la i've got lots of friends in la it's like we can make this work this could be really this could be a real adventure um and then it all fell down on visas oh no and and then the show went to air without me and i think was cancelled after six episodes and so you go oh okay maybe great after all, that I didn't move my entire yes, life to America yes. for six weeks because that's the nature of this funny old business that we work in, Gabs, as you know. Yeah, um, well, yeah. So I almost did, and interestingly, you know, when I was doing X Factor, there was always the, the push of, "Do you want to go to um, LA and do some meetings?" And I was like, "No, I actually don't. I love my job here. I love my life here. Like, why? Why be greedy for more? This is like, if this is ever as good as it gets, this is great." So I just didn't have the appetite then. Um,
1: but it also be hard that. now because Ben Ben is a, a teenager and...
2: Um, it, oh, listen, I, I don't really think hard. they're all sat there going, we need a 48-year-old, you know... Why not? then to come on over. <laughs> Why not? Well, you're absolutely right. Why not? And actually, I think in the States, they have a far um, greater appetite to employ women of our age and beyond. Than they do here. Yes,
1: yeah, they do. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so back to uh, Ben. So you have a, a teenage boy, yeah. and you two. You know, you have the you have a great relationship, and he's he just looks like such a good boy. And I was speaking to a mutual friend a few months ago. I think I told you when we walked in lockdown um, that yes. that our mutual friend said, "Just Ben's just such a lovely kid." And I thought that's what you always want to hear about your offspring he's just a lovely kid
2: and i just thought that's such a that's great that's what you want to hear yeah you know what he is um he is a lovely kid and um he is yeah he's my greatest achievement in life and the relationship we have is something i am so proud of and as we sort of enter into his teenage years now i really hope i can preserve that um because if he's anything like i was as a teenager you know pray for me um but he, he is, and I think honestly, a hot mess, nightmare. Um, the relationship we have is probably quite intense because it's always just been the two of us. Well, since he was not even two, it's just been the two of us. Um, and you know what? You know, you realise when you become a parent, as Ada, you'll probably be nodding along, agreeing with this. You just don't know what kind of parent you're going to be,
0: and no, you don't have get no idea what you're
2: doing. No, they teach you how to give birth. And that's it. But then it just falls off a cliff after that. And you're like, "Um, sorry, what? Hello? (laughs) Anyone? Um, And you go home with this baby and you're like, shit. Um, But you've just got to kind of, you know, you've got to figure it out as you go along. And it's instincts, I suppose, that really drive you. It's like, you you have to do what's right for you. And um, I've, my 13 years of raising that boy have been my greatest pleasure and privilege and yeah. He is everything to me. He's my heart, my soul. I would say to him, he, he kind of rolls his eyes now. I say, "You are all the colours in my rainbow." Oh, oh, is... yeah. Will, you'll yeah, get a but lot like of I eye said, rolling. He's thirteen, so talk to me in a year's time and see if he's still as lovely. <laughs> Good luck with the teenage years. My
1: my uh, um, my big girl <laughs> is through all of that now, and. um it is extraordinary when you're right in the middle of it, you think, oh my God. Uh, when they come through the other end, it's hello again, oh, there you are. There you, there are. you are. Welcome exactly. back.
2: And I think, you know, when you think back to the early st- early phases of parenting, you, I, you know, my mantra was, it's just a phase. Everything's a phase. In three months time, this will have changed because kids develop and change. And, you know, the challenges are you, are addressed and then you move on to the next set of challenges and everything is momentary. And the same with teenagers, it's just... um yeah, they, I mean, the difference is you can't put them to bed at 7 o'clock.
1: Oh, my God. Tell me about it. I want to watch. I want to catch up with There's this thing that we're watching at the moment and, and my youngest isn't interested. And I'm sort of sitting there drumming. My fingers going, just go to bed, go to bed, go to bed. Because we don't We <coughs> don't have a TV in her room. We. we it's just something we, we don't want her to have a TV in her room. So we sit down there. It's all family time as well because we sit and watch shows together. And I'm drumming. Okay, do you want to go to bed early tonight? Go on. Go on,
2: off you go, off you go. Yeah. No, they won't. I know, I know. And they... Seven ever, o'clock you know, in fact, bedtime. They, yeah. So oh, do you remember those days?
1: Yes. Oh. Yes, I do. Oh.
2: Lifetime again. Thank you for all the lovely, kind words about Ben. That's really, really sweet of you. And um, yeah. He must be very proud uh, of his
1: mum. He's aware of what you do. And I think it's a great... I think it's great for kids to see working mums. I mean, it's so very different two generations ago that kids weren't brought up with that and it all shifted. Yeah. I mean, my mum worked um, uh, and I've worked from the from the day, I mean, the day I was 15 and, and my kids know that I've always worked and they know that it's important to me. And you, you seem to have that work life balance perfectly. And he says, all right, look, my mum, she's done it on her own. She's, she's, well, she works, but she's always there for me. That say, says to me you've got the
2: balance. Well, I think oh god, I tell you what, it's been a struggle over the years because the one thing I didn't ever do was was um, and not that there's anything wrong with with hiring help or having a nanny. Um, it just didn't. It it just wasn't what I wanted to do. I and I deliberately dialed down my work, certainly for the first four or five years because I just thought he's probably going to be my only child. I was you know I was I was single by the time he was two. By the time you're thinking of going again, so. That wasn't really an option. If he is my only child, I want to be here for all of these moments, not chasing around doing TV shows and not being here. So I made some big decisions around what I would and wouldn't do work-wise. And thank God I did. You know, I'm so grateful that I had that time with him. And I put him first. And really, it's only in recent years that I've sort of dug the work back up again. Um, because Because I always had to, you know, I wanted the flexibility of being able to say, so when a job come in, I would just say to my agent, that's great, but could you make sure that I can get back in time to pick up from after school club? And, you know, I can start, but only once I've dropped him at breakfast club. And that's how it worked for a long time. And now it's a lot easier because, you know, he's far more independent. Um, But for a long time, it was a real juggle. And the only way I could make it work was because I was lucky enough to be able to sort of say I'm going to work less, um, yeah. And um, but thank God I did. I wouldn't yeah. have changed it for anything.
1: Do you know what you you are a joy? You're a you're you're a real nurturer as well. That's another thing. I think you you like to oh, nurture thanks. friendship. You yeah, you nurture yeah. friendships. You nurture your businesses. You're a Yeah. You're a nurturer. Um, Okay. So we always ask on this podcast, what makes you belly laugh? I know you can giggle. I've seen you cry laughing. Sarcasm.
2: Is that it? (laughs) Oh my God. Just somebody super sarcastic. Ideally, their sarcasm directed entirely at me. Um, The idea Mm -hmm. of somebody shredding me with sarcasm is almost sexy. I love it. I really do. The more sarcastic, the better. Yeah, yeah. Literally, that is the that is the way into my heart. It's literally just shred me with sarcasm, um, and literally from the, the one of one of the first phrases Ben used to say to me, he "Could never say sarcastic," um, but he's obviously been raised on sarcasm. He used to say, "Mom, stop being so starastic." <laughs> um, <so. laughs> oh bless! You should have that on a t shirt. Yeah, star You should
1: um, do that I You know it. your t-shirts That you do With um, Yeah, with the lips Read my lips Yes You should yeah. put And put stars on it And say Startastic.
2: Or, or just sarcastic One-liners Even better Yes <laughs> Oh my god Listen, good luck With everything you do And, Gaps, because, and you. carry on
1: being This nurturing Strong Journalistic Broadcaster Mum
2: Read Jewelry making Mum <laughs> Everything all of it. Well, it's you know, it's just as you go through life now. I'm just sort of I've decided just to say yes to the stuff that interests me, and I don't care if it fits or not, you know. And actually, that's quite liberating. So who knows? In a year's time, I might have another few things to add to that list, or I might not. What? Oh.
1: Well, also, you're doing your live shows. You're going around the country doing live chats oh, and yeah. lunches. You've got your live shows at the um, Leicester Square Theatre. So you're open to, to saying yes. yes, but also you will still say no. And that's the other thing that's oh, very yeah. powerful. I think the power of no is, is actually informs all of the
2: great yeses. Yeah, for sure. So you need
1: that on a T-shirt as well. Kate Thornton, I absolutely adore you. Thank you, my gorgeous girl. Oh, Gabs, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Coming up next week, the wonderfully funny Nick Mohammed, who, of course, is Nathan in Ted Lasso. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions and music by Beth Macari. Could you please tap the follow or subscribe button? And thank you so much for your amazing reviews. We honestly read every single one of them and they mean the world to us. Thank you so much for listening.